Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. My story isn't over, my story's just begun. Figure won't define me, cause that's what the Father does. Figure won't define me, cause that's what the Father does.
singing that I didn't really think about it when I picked out the song I just it we hadn't done it in a while and I had it on my mind so I just picked it out but as I was sitting there singing it I thought that is the most perfect Father's Day song that we could have sang today because I mean if you're a father in the room and you think about the love for your kids I'm not a father but I'm a mom so I I mean when I think about the love for my kids the over overwhelming never-ending love that there's not a measure I wouldn't go to to bring them back to me if they left to help them to just do whatever no you know no shadow you won't light up I mean just to me that is just the perfect Father's Day song when we think about our Heavenly Father and when we think about our kids and the way we feel about them and the way that that kind of describes our love for our kids and how that is so much more when we think about the love that our God has for us that's just that's all I could think about while I was singing it. I've carried a burden 
come to you today and we thank you so much for being our heavenly father for being the one that we can always depend on and the one we can always go to lord i thank you for our fathers here on earth lord but that you have given lord it is a privilege to be a father here and god i know it is a privilege for you to just to look down upon us god it is your desire to look down upon us 
to love us, to have mercy upon a people, Lord, that sometimes don't deserve it. But God, you love us so much, and you've given your son to die on a cross for our sins. God, that proves your love for us. And God, I just pray that as we think about that today, we think of the Father's love. God, we think of you, and we think of all that you have done for us. God, help us, God, just to be a little bit, just to be a portion of the kind of Father that you are. God, I pray for Brother Darrell as he comes today. We thank you for him, and we, we just pray for the word that goes out, Lord, today. God, just touch our hearts. God, speak through him. God, just help us, Lord, to take in what we hear today, God, and to take it to the, the people that we come in contact with every day, God, those that are lost and dying and without you, God. It is our responsibility, it is our duty, God, to be you for them. God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, good morning again. If you have your Bible, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'll say a little bit about, more about that in just a second. Hebrews 11, 7. Thank you for breakfast this morning. It was really good. And I was sitting there, uh, I think uh, everybody that was there really enjoys it. We always do. And I was uh, thinking while I was eating breakfast and watching everybody and thought we ought to make more excuses to do that. So any excuse you can come up with, we'll, we'll do that. Thank, thank you for everybody who helped with that. And uh, for the dad jokes, the funniest part for me was the people behind me who didn't get them. <laughs> and trying to figure out what, what did he say, what, what was all that? I got more kick out of listening to the people trying to get the joke than I did the joke. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, is a verse we looked at a few weeks ago, the story of Noah and the ark. And I actually was thinking about this while I preached this a few weeks ago. I'm sure you don't, rem don't remember this, but uh, this outline is exactly like, uh, there is an outline on the backside of your announcements. It's exactly like the one we used a few weeks ago. And I only preached halfway through it. And I knew as I was preaching along, there's just no way I'm going to get all the way through it. But I was thinking while I was preaching a few weeks ago that the second half would make a good, uh, make a good Father's Day message. So while I was preaching, I was thinking that. that well, that just, kind of, that just kind of settled the question in my mind. I only preached halfway through it. So if you have your announcements you've got your uh, me uh, message on the backside. we're going to start down halfway where it says uh, how did Noah condemn the world we'll read the text and but that's uh, where we'll take off is kind of the second half but I'm going to add a few things to it I didn't put them in the in the outline but it'll hopefully all make sense to you one verse Hebrews 11:7. by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen Move with godly fear. That's what we dealt with a few weeks ago, just almost entirely that, that thought. That's where you're more afraid not to. Move with godly fear, built or prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And so that second part we know he built an ark. God told him to build an ark. And it was the saving of, of his wife, three sons, and three daughter-in-laws. So the saving of his household uh, by which he condemned the world. What I want to do is kind of take the outline where we stopped a few weeks ago and deal with that phrase, he condemned the world. Then we'll go back up and talk about the saving of his household. How did Noah condemn the world? That's pretty strong uh, language that, the, that this pastor uses. That Noah condemned the world. If you're not careful, it almost gives you the impression that he gave up on the world, that the world's lost. He's going to build a, a big boat, leave, leave this world. The world is condemned. It's hopeless. That's not really what it means. How did Noah condemn the world? The scripture says that he that he did do that. So here you have a man who's uh, been told by God to build 
an ark, a huge wooden box, and it probably did, when you're reading the scriptures, it's probably what it means that it did take him, uh, take him 120 years to build this huge box. His sons, daughter-in-laws, his family helped. And so that's what they're doing. So day by day, people go by, and they look at him. They watch him, of course. It's all very peculiar. Never seen anybody do this before. God said it's going to rain. If you read the scripture carefully, you'll see that it has never rained up to this point. So when God said it's going to rain, everybody said, what? I don't even know what that is. So day by day, for 120 years, people pass by, and there's this crazy man and his crazy, crazy family out there building this huge wooden box because they say it's going to rain and we don't even know what rain is. Noah is used and referred to quite a few times in scripture, different places. So you have to read all of that to kind of get a picture of all that was going on. We know that he's building the ark. We also know that he is for that long a preacher of righteousness. And so all that time He's preaching also. And I don't know how he did it. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't say. But uh, let's read that verse out of the message translation. And by faith Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. <laughs> right? He built a ship in the middle of dry land, which that's crazy. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. His act of faith drew, here's what I want you to see, on condemned. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. Let's leave that scripture up for a second. Noah condemned the world, not by, not by the harshness, not by saying, you know, you all lost on your way to hell, there's nothing you can do. He was a preacher, a preacher of righteousness the whole time, so that he was a preacher of repentance the whole time. One translation I read said that his witness condemned the world. His, his witness, what people saw, condemned them. That's interesting, isn't it? Read that line again. Uh, his act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of, rightness of the believing world. His life drew a sharp line. The world was on one side. He, he and his family were on the other side. And because of what people saw in him day by day, year by year, what they saw in him, what they heard from him, condemned them. Dads, everybody, what do you think about that? What do you think about your life? It's almost condemning to talk about the condemning that Noah's life presented. They saw him, they saw themselves. They saw his faith, they saw their faith. They saw his strong faith, his strong obedience, and they saw theirs. His life his witness, his preaching was condemning them because of what they saw in him. Simple question for everybody in the room, not just for dads. Is your life condemning anybody? Is your life bothering anybody? Is anybody bothered by you? Does anybody feel uncomfortable around you? I think sometimes we're almost taught to not do that. We're, we've been taught wrong. Is anything you say, does, does it bother other people because of your righteousness? Are people uncomfortable around you because of your rightness? That's, that's the word used. Your rightness, your righteousness. I wonder, are you making a difference that's what it comes down to. Are you making a, making a difference? Is anybody bothered? Is anybody changed? Is anybody, anybody convicted? 
Anybody condemned, that's the word used, because of your life, your witness, because of what they see and what they hear. Are you bothering anybody? And it comes down again. Are you making a difference? Is your life making a difference with anyone? If you're looking at your outline, we'll put these, this on the screen and we'll move on. God saw him. That's why he chose him, right? God saw him. So, of course, God saw, sees him, sees you. His family saw him. And we're going to move on to that. And the world saw him. Because all these people saw him, what a difference that he made. I'm not Noah. I never will be. I'm just me. But his life convicts me that uh, I've got a, a friend of mine, and he may be watching this, so I'm not going to say his name. But he's half crazy. He is half crazy. And some of, it could be some of you in the room, and I, I don't. So when he talks and he tells me things that God has said and God's doing, part of me says he's half crazy. But, you know, wait a minute. Be careful because they said that about Noah, too. And so I'm just, uh, I, I'm just, I'm going to be careful about that. There's some people that God can do peculiar, strange, and mighty things through. And uh, anyway, God saw him, his family saw him, the world saw him. That's just like you. And he changed the world by his faith. Now, that is using that, uh, that term condemned. If we go to the scripture again. He was moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. There's not anything on the outline for that. For the saving of his household. Noah building the ark is an incredible story. And the more you study it, the more you think about it, there's so many incredible ingredients in that story. Such an incredible act of faith, such an incredible thing God did and the people that God worked through. An incredible thing about it is that when Noah, I don't know, can you imagine the supper table one night? Noah, his three sons, the daughter-in-laws sitting around the t table, his wife, and he says, I got something to tell you. What, Dad? Well, and you know the story, God told me to build this huge wooden box, huge wooden box. Ham, Sham, Japheth, and their wives sitting around the table. What? <laughs> really? You know, what? An incredible act of faith on Noah's part. Who else showed an incredible act of faith? The children and the daughter-in-laws, who are notorious for being difficult. <laughs> incredible that they did it because he said so, isn't it? It's incredible that they did this with him because just because he said so. When you think about it and think about, you know, I suspect, I suspect, that's not the first time. He has said some things at the supper table before. He has done some things before. Uh, these are mature sons. They, they've, they've got some age to them. They've been around dad a while. And so the Bible doesn't tell us, but I suspect because we just know how life goes, that they, they've, heard, they've heard him say some things at the supper, supper table before. They've, they've seen him do some other things too. They, he's built up, a, uh, built up a reputation. He's built up faith with them. Okay, and so he starts talking about the greatest thing he's ever thought of, the biggest thing he's ever tried to do, and he's saying, I want you, I want you all to go with me. I, I, I want you to do this with me for the saving of his family. That's important. The ark, I, the Bible never says this. I've never heard a preacher say this ever, but for some reason, just in my early years, maybe my childhood years, that I don't know, I just had had the, like the slight impression that, the, that as the ark was being built and he preached 120 years, 
that maybe there's almost like an invitation to the people. Hey, hey, come on the ark, come on the ark with us, and you'll be saved. But that's not true at, at all. It was never intended to be that. His preaching was repentance. The ark was for this family, not for anyone else. The only people invited on the ark were those eight folks. It was for, the, it was for his family. But they, I suspect, they've heard dad do things like this before. Not like this. But they've, they've seen dad do things before for the family. They've seen dad act in maybe uh, extreme ways for the family. And they're seeing it again. It's incredible that he builds the ark. It's incredible that his family helped him because they dedicated their life to it just because dad said so. Just because dad said so. That's incredible. I want you to think back to, uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of follow along with me in my thinking here. In Ephesians chapter 5, where I know this is husband and wife, but I want you to see the connection. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul instructs the church, all of us, and he says, and this will be familiar to you, husbands, what's he say? Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. That's going to be important. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love them as your own self. And the one nobody wants, no wife wants to hear, what's it say? Wives, submit. Right? Now every man in the room, yeah, preach it. I came to hear you preach that. Wives, submit to your husbands. In fact, some of you men are saying, preach it again. Wives, submit to your husbands, which is, as the scripture comes down to the last verse, respect. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Okay? Now, because that's what each needs. So, uh, men, the way this works, why didn't the Bible, why didn't Paul say, wives love your husbands? Is, does he not intend for what wives to love their husbands? No, that's not what he means at all. Of course, wives are to love their husbands. Does he mean that men should not respect their wives? No, that's not what he means at all. He just, he chose different words because he knows that men and women are different and we need different things. So, the reason he said, wives respect your husbands, because I know very well I am this way, I have a hard time differentiating the two words, respect and love. If my wife, or if you, don't respect me, then I have a hard time believing that you love me. So respect for a man is crucial. And that's why the Bible says, wives, respect your husbands, because that's what he needs. Okay? The Bible also says, of course, husbands love your wives, because that's what she needs. Now, like, like I said, it's, it's not that she doesn't want you to, to respect her, but if you don't love her, then she has a hard time thinking that you really respect her. There's a couple books that we use quite a bit uh, use them when folks are getting married and I've given these books out to lots lots of different folks especially in the husband wife relationship thing Dee and I both read the book uh, for for women only for men only and, and you know men's supposed to read this one the 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 husband reads this one the, the wife reads this one we we did that the fun thing is to once you've read the book you're supposed to read, is read the other one, okay? And a lot of good things in the book, really, really good books. Um, one of the things that I noticed, I'm sure it was in the For Men book, in the For, in the for Men Only book, a, 
a woman is telling men how women think. In the For Women Only book, a man is telling the women how men think. One area that came up that I didn't really know women thought this way, it was in the area of love. Almost every man in a counseling situation that I've ever dealt with loves their wife. Almost every man says they love, they love their wife. I think they're telling the truth. One thing they brought out was it's more than that, though. That the woman is concerned, the wife is concerned, that the man love her, but it's more than that. That he love only her. That he love only because there are levels of love. For instance, on Father's Day, I can say, I've said, said this often, you love your children more than I love your children. I love my children more than you love mine. There are, there are levels of love. We love other people in different ways. Almost every husband says they love their wife. Almost every dad says they love their children. There are levels to that, though. There are levels to that. That's, that's important. And so the wife is not, not that she just, of, of, of course she wants her husband to, to love her. And of course, like, like I said, almost every husband says that they do. But she's concerned that, they, that he love only her. That he love her more than anything else. That's the wife's concern. Afraid that he doesn't that he doesn't. And he's got other things that he loves as much, or he's got other things in his life that he loves more. And so that's his concern. And so she begins to doubt that doubt the love because she doesn't feel like he loves only her or her more than anything else. And that's exactly, though, what Paul said. Uh... Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. As much as you love yourself, love her. Raise the level of love. And then, because that's, that's what she wants to see, that's what she needs to see, that's what you need to be. That's the kind of love that, that needs to grow to the point. I heard uh, somebody said this very well. He said, I've never seen a woman who has a husband who loves her with all his heart, loves her like Jesus loves the church, loves her as much as he loves himself, that doesn't respect him. I agree with that. I've never seen a woman who does not respect her husband when she knows beyond any doubt that he loves her only which means he loves her more than anyone else, loves her more than anything else. I think that applies to every area. When people see that, when people know that, when people feel that, when children know that, when, pe when, when children see that, when children feel that, that changes everything. When dad loves us, when dad loves us, when my husband loves me, when my dad loves me unconditionally, he loves me more than he loves himself. I'll do, I'll do anything. <laughs> I'll do anything. That man, when, when he sits around the supper table and comes up with a crazy idea, he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for me. The idea that Noah had to, to build the ark wasn't to save himself so much as the family. I bet you he's done that before. I, I bet you he's worked his whole life like that. 
I bet you he's lived his whole life. Remember, God saw him, the family saw him, the people saw him, but now we're dealing with the family. This isn't for the world. He's not saving the world. He's saving his family. They've seen this before. They've seen him do this before. Not this, you know, not this cra crazy big thing, but he's done it in smaller ways. He's done something. He's done something step by step, year by year, consistently and constantly. He's done something to build their trust in him like, like it's crazy trust. How did he do that? He loved them. He loved them day by day, week by week, year by year. They're, they're mature now. They can leave home. They don't have to do this at all. He's done something to build something in them, a faith in them that is just beyond what most of us could ever, ever think of. He's done something year by year, week, week, week by week. He has loved them more than himself, more than himself, and they know that. That dad's not going to do anything to hurt us. Dad's not going to do anything. Dad's not going to do anything selfish. Dad doesn't do selfish things. He just, he just doesn't. Why? Because he loves us. Whatever dad's doing is not for himself. It's for us. The family knows that. When the family knows that, when the wife knows that, they'll do just about anything. Why? Because they know it's for them. This isn't about his ego. This isn't about seeing how big a boat he can, he, he can build. It's for his family. And, and they know that. He Noah is about as good an Old Testament example that you can ever find of Ephesians 5. He loved them the way Jesus loves the church and gave himself for us. He loved them unconditionally. He loved them as he loves himself. He loved them. And, and they saw it. Now, to do that, you're on your own. <laughs> okay? But it's just, it's, hey, it's every man, everybody, finding that way to go up another level of love. Go up another level. I'm going to somehow convince, if, if I'm the husband, I'm going to somehow convince her. I don't know what i got to do, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to convince her that I love her more than I love me. And I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what, what she needs, but I'm going to convince her that I love her more than I love me. If I really do. If I really do. Now, if I really don't, let's move up another level of love. Or it's taking those children. If, if, if I'm dad, I'm, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what they need. Every child is different. But I'm going to convince them somehow, some way, that I love them more than I love me. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show my family that I love them more than I love me, if I really do. Now, if I'm not sure of that, I need to step up another level of love like Jesus loves you gave himself for you Jesus is always going to be the example he's always going to be the goal I'm going to try to learn to love like he loves when I started preaching uh, there were two things I was told I've got to do I've got to love Jesus and I've got to love people which of those two do you think is easier? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know what you would say. But I've got to learn to, I've got to love Jesus and I've got to love people. Actually, you know what? Almost any position in, in any church, what are the requirements? It's going to be those, those two things. I've got to learn to love Jesus and I've got to learn to love people. I, I don't know if you, I don't know what you think, but I know at the beginning it was so much easier to love Jesus. That's, I answered the call to preach because I love him. People, uh, not so much, but I've had to learn it. It's something that you can learn. 
is something that you can grow in because love has levels to it. And what you learn to do is step up another one. It's amazing how people change when they know you love them. When they know it. It's amazing how people change and react and grow when they know that you love them. It's not going to be just in what you say. It's got to be in how, just everything about you. I really love them. Like Jesus loves me. And I take him as my goal. Say, Lord, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to love my wife, my children, my church. I'm trying to love the way you love me. That's always my goal. I'm going to ask for you to stand me. Grady, I think, is uh, going to do the music today for our prayer time. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and just listen to the Holy Spirit. This is, this is Father's Day, very much aware of that. But I want to be sure on this prayer time that, of course, every every... Dads, welcome to come and, come and pray. I, I wish you would. If you've got a burden for your family, for any part of it, if there's any, anything at all, if there's a dad in the house that needs to come and pray for their family or for themselves, for this issue of love and, re, and, and, re, and respect, just come and pray. But I want to be sure that uh, everybody in the house knows that this prayer time is for everybody in the house. It's for all of us. And so if there's any issue at all, any situation at all, any person at all that you need to come and pray for, you want to, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. Just, this is not just for dads. It's for all of us. If you need to come and pray, if there's a, a problem in your life, if you need me to pray for you, if you need somebody else to pray for you, so I just want you to feel free. I want you to feel and know that during our, during our prayer time, you can come and pray. If you just need to seek the Lord out for anything at all, while he plays and sings, I think you're going to sing, Give Me Jesus. Okay, while he plays and sings, if you have a prayer need of any kind, we invite you to come and pray. And when I am alone, yes, when I am alone, and when I am alone, give me Jesus, give me Jesus.
And when I come to die, yes, when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. can have 